Good morning. Last uh, Sunday, well, on Saturday last week, uh, I was standing on a Pennsylvania mountain in 34 degrees, looking out over Maryland and West Virginia, doing a wedding uh, for my wife's niece. And uh, so last week on Sunday, we joined you as we were driving uh, back from Pennsylvania, and I'm really glad to be here today. I will tell you that. So thank you for being here to worship with us. Let me ask you a question, and I need you to, I want you to jump right on board with me here. What was your first job? Dishwasher. Loading skeet and trap. You were living with the smell of gunpowder every day. <laughs> oh, I've shot there before. Anybody else? First job. Throw. Lawn mowing. Okay. All right. Cleaning cabins. All right. My first job was milking cows. My dad thought it'd be a great idea. We had a, a, a couple that was, they were over 60, and when you're like 13 or 14, they might as well have been a thousand, you know. Um, now I'm finding out how young 60 really is going to be, is going to be. Just want to make that clear. Um, but my dad thought it'd be a great idea to approach this couple and to say, hey, I think it'd be a great job, a great idea for Kevin to live with you guys for the summer and milk your cows. I think that'd be fat, fat. Don't you guys think that'd be a great idea for your kid? Right? Right? Well, so I, I went and I milked cows twice a day throughout the summer. And I, I have to admit, I absolutely love it. My kids hate it because I use that as a story all the time. And, uh, and especially uh, my youngest, I think, doesn't like it. But, um, but that's what I did. That was my first job. And I was really smart. I parlayed shoving cow, shoveling cow manure, okay? I parlayed that into shoveling, let's just say, Mickey D's. And, I, and so I traded my, my overalls. I traded up. I traded my overalls for those really snappy-looking brown polyester uh, McDonald's uniforms from the late 70s. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, the ones that they, when you're done with a shift, they stink so bad of McDonald's. It, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Uh, the, the, do you remember the paper, the paper hats? Okay, you had to wear one of those, those paper hats every time you worked. Hairnets. I've outgrown all use for hairnets, and, um, but I, I traded up. So, but my first job was milking cows, and we're, we're looking at the life of David. Uh, we've called him an enigma, and um, today we're going to look at his life. And when we begin to hear about David, you know, he's, he's in his first job. He's tending sheep for his dad. That's his first job, okay? But things begin to change. God has rejected King Saul for his disobedience, so Samuel and God proclaim David, they anoint him. Samuel anoints him uh, as, and, and, and notice the scripture doesn't say as king, he just anoints him. You have to put two and two together, and, and, and even the people that were there, they knew that it meant something big, but they didn't know exactly what it was. 
And so he's anointed as king. And in David's timeline, I, I thought this is really interesting because I wanted to really kind of get an idea of the timeline. And, and when David was anointed as king, he did not become king. But when he was anointed, uh, historians believe he was 15. So uh, when he became king, however, he was 30. And the bottom line is that I want to I look into here is what happened between 15 and 30. What happened in those 15 years in his life? Because it made a difference in his life. He had some decisions that he had to make. So we see that he begins working for King Saul. He's hired to play music to soothe the king. Uh, five years after he's anointed, he's sent to the front lines not to fight. He's sent on a DoorDash mission. Anybody here, do you use DoorDash ever? Do you, you, do you use DoorDash? I, there are times when I have a certain member of my family uses DoorDash, and I'm like, we live two miles from, from McDonald's, you know, or wherever they want to get their, their, their food from. Um, but that's what David did. He was sent on a DoorDash mission to the front line by his dad. And that was... Uh, the, the, that was the time when he picks up the five stones in his sling and he defeats the giant Goliath. And so uh, we, we learned that he was, he was really, he was 19, 20 years old at that point. A lot of times we think of him as being a little bit younger at that point. Um, but, uh, but then imagine you've just killed the giant and this wasn't just killing a giant but this giant was challenging your nation your army in a winner take all battle so now your the whole the their army their whole army was defeated because you defeated this giant this representative of their army and so david he became a hero they would sing songs uh, about him. They would say, King Saul has ki killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And so David very quickly became a hero in his, in his own community, okay? And, and David became a warrior. He became the captain of the king's bodyguard. Imagine how these doors would open up. He becomes uh, the king's armor bearer. Um, this was pretty significant how these doors began to open up for him. We read in 1 Samuel 18, verses 13 and 14, it said, So he sent, meaning King Saul, he sent David away from him, and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. <clears throat> so David became a battalion leader in his army. He was a general. He led a thousand men. And scripture says that God was with him in everything that he did. But Saul kept an, a, a very jealous eye on him. Saul's firstborn, Jonathan, would normally have been appointed as the king following Saul. And Jonathan and David were so close uh, that, that literally they were, they were like brothers. And, and in fact, Jonathan and his father really, um, there was a, a, a fissure in that relationship because Saul hated David so much and, and Jonathan and David became incredibly close 
Um, even Saul's daughter, Michael, um, fell in love with David, and eventually Saul gave her to David um, in marriage um, kind of as a way to keep an eye on him. Um, you know, they say, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I think that's exactly what that was there. <clears throat> and so throughout this 15-year period where David, it's between the time he's anointed and the time that he becomes king, we are told that uh, Saul has attempted to kill David, whether, whether directly or indirectly, at least a dozen times. And now we're going to pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 24. Saul has brought 3,000 of his best soldiers, and they are, they've gotten word that David is in the En Gedi. That's a location. It's a, it's a place where, where shepherds would bring their sheep. Um, there's a, a place called the Crag of the Wild Goats. And it's a place that was known for caves. And so Saul is traveling with his 3,000 men, and, uh, and he needs some rest, and he needs to get out of the sun. And so <clears throat> he finds one of these caves, and he goes into this cave, and he's going to rest. And he goes in, maybe, maybe he laid down, maybe he took a nap. I, I, I don't know exactly what it means. We're not given anything more than that. But what Saul did not know was that in that cave, in the darkness, was David and 600 of his men. So this is a big cave, okay? If you've ever gone uh, into, into a big cave before, uh, they can be pretty enormous. And the blackness, uh, I've, I've toured caves and they shut out the lights on you at some point, and the blackness is, is pretty incredible. Um, I imagine that's the case. And so these 600 men are there. King Saul comes in. Maybe he lays down, takes a nap, and I can, I can read their minds. They have been running with David, and they're thinking to themselves, this is the moment we've been waiting for. The king has made such a huge mistake, and we are going to, today, this is all going to change because we're going to be able to take him out. That had to be their thought. And in the darkness, David moves closer and closer to the king. Not wanting to wake him up. Not wanting to let him know that David was there. Now, I imagine <clears throat> that David's men who are behind him in the front of the cave is this way. They see a silhouette of their leader actually getting closer and closer. And when he comes really close, they see him reach for his knife. And he pulls that knife out. David is at a crossroads in his life. David is at a place where he has a decision to make. Many of us have been in places like this in our lives. Maybe, maybe not as life or death as this one is, but we've been in places like that. Which way was he going to go? I want to look at three things in his life that I think really impacted the way things turned out from this moment. And, and the first thing is this, that David <clears throat> was called to be a leader. <clears throat> God went looking for a new leader, the Bible tells us. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, the second half of the verse, it says, The Lord sought out 
a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. That word appointed, it means a divine act to command. So God said to David, I am t- you are going to be the king. It wasn't da- David didn't have a, a plan, a life plan. And if you have a life plan, that's that's awesome. I, those are they're fantastic. Um, my life plan was to get out of just get out of high school, you know, and get, get out of town and and do what God wanted me to. I didn't think about writing it down, but some people do. David's life plan didn't say be king of Israel by thirty. It didn't say that. That was not what he ultimately was looking to do. In fact, in fact, David was not even the most qualified in his own family to be the king. I love sports where people grow up and, and they become professional athletes. And it is sometimes said of them that they were not even the best athlete in their sport in their family. That's amazing. And yet they they rise to incredible uh, levels of success. David was not even as qualified as his brothers. the, the, The prophet looked at them and he thought, oh, this guy's gotta be the guy. And then this guy's gotta be the guy. And this guy's gotta be the guy. And they didn't even consider David as qualified enough to be interviewed for the position. But yet we read in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went, then went to Ramah. So God places his stamp of approval on David's life. In fact, he pours out his spirit on him. He pours out his power on him. This call that was upon David's life was not based on his appearance. For Samuel 16, verse 7, the second half of the verse, God tells the prophet who's looking at how tall these brothers are, who's looking at how good-looking they are, and God says to him this, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David's qualification for the job was his heart. And I want you to know something that God still calls that exact same way today. You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not tall enough to do this job. I, that, I'm, yeah, <laughs> Dave, that's, I mean, David was, that, that's what the, 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 the prophet thought his brothers were taller. Therefore, they were more qualified. Okay, but doggone it, people like me. No, I just, I, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we say we don't have what it takes. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And we are looking at our appearance. We are looking at the external part of ourselves and we are making a declaration. And God is saying of you, I look at the heart. I look at the heart. Those other things... We can do it without those. But I look at the heart. And God is still calling people today. He's still empowering people today to do mighty exploits for God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. God is still doing that. We see evidence of it right now at Asbury College. God is still pouring out his spirit. Nobody expected that in a college campus. Everybody knows college kids. They can hardly tie their shoes. Right? As adults, we look at the younger generation and we're not confident of them. And here God is pouring out his spirit on them because he's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. God is still calling people for the purpose of leadership. You say, I don't want to be a leader. David accepted God's call, and you think to yourself, I could never lead, I could never do great things for God, because you're looking in the mirror, and God is looking at our hearts. The second thing that I think really made a difference is David was willing to sacrifice. Our culture, and this goes back into how we look at the younger generation, and forgive me, I'm not trying to pick on the younger generation. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and younger generations are where it's at, okay? Um, but when we look, we, we watch some of these cool, you know, renovation programs, and, and we see young, young family, young people, and they are, they're moving into a house, and they, what they say is, this is going to be our forever home. They want their first house to be their forever home. They want to have somebody else remodel it, and they want to walk in and be able to park their stuff in it. And those of us that have owned homes, <laughs> multiple homes in our lives, we understand that homes take up a lot of energy, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and, and time, and effort, and sacrifice. We understand that, but, but we, have, we have wisdom. That's why we understand those things. They, they, the younger, it, it, the, these shows, they depict people that they're not always willing to sacrifice for it. Oh, they want to they wanna have it. They want to enjoy it, but they just want to move in. David was willing to make sacrifices. His boss was a homicidal maniac. You think your boss is bad. No comments. You think your boss is bad. A homicidal maniac, maniac trying to kill him. Saul sent David on dangerous missions in hope that David would die in the process. But David had great success. And the scripture says that, that everything he did, God was with him. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 30, the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle. And as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. If you, if you didn't realize this, the Philistines are the arch enemies of Israel for a, a long period of time. And David is the guy that's having the success against them. Saul continues to try to kill David, sometimes with a spear, sometimes with an army. Now David is actually on the run from King Saul. He finds himself the king's son-in-law, and he's living in a cave called the Cave of Adullam. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. Now he doesn't have this battalion of soldiers with him. 
It says that all those who are in distress or in debt or discontented, man, that's my kind of crowd. <laughs> Isn't that a group that you'd like to hang with? All, all the distressed, the indebted, the discontented, they gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with them. So David now finds himself as the leader of a new army. David understood what John Maxwell wrote about. Maxwell wrote a chapter in one of his books called The Law of Sacrifice. And it says that leaders have increased responsibilities. David now has the responsibility of all of these in-debt, discontented, discouraged people and their families. He's responsible for their safety. He's responsible for finding food. We read about it in the scriptures. He's responsible to leading them to water. They live in the desert. He's responsible for, for the military maneuvers that they make. He is completely responsible. Maxwell goes on and he says this, that leaders also not only have an increased responsibility, but they have a decreased right. David also, his rights were decreased. And as Americans, we are all about our rights. All about our rights. Luke chapter 24 and verse, or 14, verse 27. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. As believers, it doesn't sound to me like we really have rights. In fact, I would say that as followers of Christ, that we forego our rights because we serve a king and we are part of his kingdom. Paul, when he talked to the Corinthians, he put quotation marks around things that he believed they were saying. And they would say, I have, I have, all, I have the right to do this. He said it twice. They were all about saying that they had rights. But living under God's kingdom is not the same. I love what Gerald Brooks says. He said, when you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. I think that's the way it is in the kingdom of God, that when we become part of the kingdom of God, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to think of others first. In our marriages, we're supposed to serve others first. We're supposed to serve our spouse before ourselves. Paul says to, to, to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is sacrificial love. And we are called in the kingdom of God to love that way. You've got to go up or to, you've got to give up in order to go up. In other words, you've got to be willing to let go of some of these things in order to be where God wants you to be. You've got to give up some rights that you think you have in order to go up in the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. And we have to give up the rights that we would really like to have. Jesus calls us that way. And David was willing to sacrifice. Number three, he was willing to patiently wait. Let's go back to the crag of the wild goats for just a second. I'll wrap up here real fast, but picture David. You're one of his troops, and you can see from behind, you can see his silhouette as he approaches the king, and he pulls that knife out, and you see him reach that knife out. <clears throat> but instead of striking the king, 
he grabs a corner of his cloak and he cuts that corner of his cloak off. And then he backs up into the darkness and the king never knows that he's there. The king leaves the cave and after letting him get a little bit away, David and his men come out of the cave. We read about it in 1 Samuel 24, starting at verse 10. It says, this day, this is David speaking now, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord has delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urge me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. You know, David could have been king that day. Remember, David led a battalion of men. David was the most successful general that Israel had, and many of the 3,000 that were with David had, or that were with Saul had served with David, and they were loyal even to him. And had David killed Saul that day, he could have taken the throne immediately. But David said, I'm not going to do that because God anointed Saul, and I'm going to let God take care of it. In Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, in the King James, it says this, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. We would say that that promotion comes from the Lord. And David was trusting God. God, if you want me to be the king, if you want to put me in this position, I'm going to let you do that. And in fact, I want you to know something. God is never going to ask you, he's never going to ask me to sin in order to get up to the place that God has promised that we would be. To, to achieve the call that God has put on our life, he's never going to ask us to break his word. He's never going to do that. And David somehow understood that. You know, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, John writes this, that he opens, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. We would say, God, the doors that God can open for us, nobody can close them. God opened a door for David. He opened that door for David because of David's heart. And God has doors that he desires to open for us. He also has some doors that he plans on closing for us too. But God desires for us to follow him in such a way that, that we allow him to put us in positions where ultimately he can use us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. David trusted God and he waited for him to open the door even when David had the chance to take it in his own hands. And sometimes you and I, we realize I could take it right now if I want it or I can wait for God to make it happen. And when it's kingdom things, trust me, God wants to open that door because when God opens the door, no one can close it. Doors in life, man, they can open, they can close very fast. But when God is in it, that door will stay open. And God is looking to send you. He's looking to send me to do great things. 
on behalf of the kingdom. Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this uh, incredible vision. He's in the presence of God. He's in the throne room of God. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah responding, and I said, here am I, send me. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to give up, to go up? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to be the leaders that God is calling us to be? God is still calling. He's still appointing. He is still challenging us. But I'll tell you what, if we don't have an attitude like David, where we are willing to acknowledge that God calls us into those positions, willing to sacrifice, willing to be patient and let God make it happen. It'll never happen. But I believe that even in this room today, that there are those here that God has a plan and a call on your life. And he desires to open doors for you that no one else could ever open. Let me pray for you today. Father, I pray that as we have looked at David's life and as we still still look for it next week, I pray, Father, that, that we would understand that you are still calling people today. And we might say, well, you know, I'm already retired or I'm halfway through my career or whatever it is, but, but God, you're calling us for kingdom purposes. And I believe that you have a plan and a desire. And God, I believe you've gifted people in this room and you're simply waiting for us to say, okay, God, we say yes. Whatever your plan is, whatever your desire is, God, we want to do that plan. And Father, I pray today that we would realize that sacrifice is part of that plan. That we would realize that leadership is part of that plan. That we would realize that being patient and waiting for you to open the door is part of that plan. Father, I thank you today for your word that has encouraged us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.